listening to In Tune, a podcast series featuring equity research analysts from BMO Capital Markets. Our shows explore key emerging themes, trends, and issues which are important to our institutional clients globally. ESG, sustainability, and the Canadian oil sands. We have a lot of ground to cover today. I'm Camilla Sutton, MD in Equity Research, and I am joined by Jared Juba, BMO Capital Markets Thematic Oil and Gas Analyst. Jared's work includes a recent report titled Survivor Canada, the Unparalleled Position of Canadian Oil in a Transition Challenge. Jared, we make it very clear from the opening sentence of that report that the Canadian oil sands are well positioned to prove more than a survivor in the energy transition. I'm pleased to welcome you to today's Intune podcast. And excited to see where you take us in this conversation. So to start, what are the three biggest ideas listeners will walk away from this podcast with? Yeah, well, well, thanks, Camilla. And um, I guess what I hope that listeners will take away from this discussion are the following three points. I mean, first is to challenge preconceived notions about what Canada's oil sands represents from a sustainability perspective. The reality is that in many ways, Canada and its oil companies have led global sustainability efforts. They practiced what we like to say, practice ESG since before it was even a thing. And we think they're poised to continue improving at a faster pace than the broader global oil and gas industry. The second would be uh, not all sources of oil are created equal in terms of their ability to adapt. And some sources we think are better positioned for change. Oil sands bitumen is distinctly unique in both its extraction process and its makeup. And this provides transition opportunities that are not available to other sources of oil. And we think it's going to support its longevity as part of global supply, even in a net zero or transition type of world. And then finally, the investment implications we think could be substantial here. The Canadian oil sector is certainly the underdog. It's been disproportionately affected by the sustainability movement in terms of share prices and valuation. And so to the extent that we're, our assumptions are correct about Canada's unique survival position, uh, we think that they may eventually see this as a catalyst for re-rating as companies delineate their transition plans. So you've laid out the foundation of today's discussion. So let's start getting into the details. ESG and sustainability have become an increasingly important factor in investors' decisions, particularly for energy companies. And for a lot of people, Canada's oil sands are not exactly synonymous with sustainability. What are your thoughts here? Yeah, absolutely. So ESG uh, is clearly becoming very topical, and we expect it only to rise in importance in the investment decision process, particularly for energy companies. So BMO Research, uh, we have been dedicated to supporting the ESG movement. We've, in fact, developed our own in-house approach for evaluating ESG factors that we think provides a level of context and industry insight that is valuable to the investment decision-making process around ESG. Specifically in the energy space, uh, we have been involved for quite an amount of time, actually, and have dedicated considerable effort over the last few years to evaluating ESG trends and relative performance of producers. In fact, as, as Camilla mentioned earlier on in the podcast, we have recently published our third annual rendition of our deep dive on ESG in Canada's oil sector, which we'll talk a lot more about in this podcast. Uh, I'll start by saying that there has historically been a lot of misconceptions about the environmental impact of oil sands development. There's been a false negative image that has been perpetuated, we think, by media and various political interest groups that doesn't really reflect the reality of today. And I'd like to point out that, first and foremost, 
Canada's global standing on environmental, social, and governance practices as a country is amongst the most distinguished in uh, or of the uh, major oil producing countries. And this is according to several reputable independent assessments uh, from like the World Bank, uh, Yale and Columbia universities. And this includes a notable lead in governance quality, which we think is perhaps the most important factor here because we see it as a root enabler of responsible environmental and social practices. So there is this disconnect between Canada's established ESG standing and the common view of its oil sector, but certainly these ratings do reflect on each country's major industries, including the oil and gas space. So indeed, when we look closely at the performance trends of Canada's major oil producers over time, we start to paint, we think, a very different picture. We like to say, as I mentioned in my intro, that oil sands producers have practiced ESG since before it was a thing. Uh, this is largely because of the heightened scrutiny that has been placed on the oil sands sector historically. And our work shows that because of this, they're actually among the most progressive companies globally in terms of ESG. They've led the pace of improvement, not only on key environmental issues like emissions intensity and fresh water use, but also social factors like indigenous relations, uh, health and safety metrics, and um, even ESG-linked governance structures. And then notably as part of this, we like to point out the sector has also led industry uh, research and development of new technology over the past decade. There's been more dollars invested per barrel in this sector than even uh, by the global oil majors. And the sector involves an extensive amount of collaboration that really isn't matched anywhere else uh, globally within the energy business. We think it's quite uh, differentiated. And as a result, you know, the sector has developed what we think is a pipeline of technologies that are going to address many of the issues uh, that are related to or perpetuating this negative image that it has. Uh, the other important factor that I think investors should really understand around oil sand sustainability is the financial capability of the sector in backing its ESG initiatives. The oil sands has historically been viewed as an energy intensive and therefore high cost operation. But again, the reality is that many of these ESG trends have actually contributed directly to better cost competitiveness over time. The sector's core operating costs uh, we talk about a fair amount are down nearly 50% since 2013. And this is related to or correlated to a number of um, ESG-related performance improvements. Because of this, and again, this is against the common belief, the oil sands business has one of the lowest cash break-even supply costs and perhaps the strongest free cash flow generating profiles in the business globally. And we think it's critical to understand that it's this free cash flow momentum and the research and development capability that we think is going to help drive a faster pace of ESG improvement for oil sands producers going forward versus the broader industry. Interesting. So let's push a little farther on that. One of the primary criticisms is that the oil sands production has a higher carbon intensity associated with it. And because of this is perhaps at higher risk in an energy transition or a net zero world. But Jared, from what I've read in your report, you have a very different take on this. Can you walk us through this? Yes, for, for sure. So uh, as you pointed out, we've titled our latest report, Survivor Canada, the unparalleled position of Canadian oil in a transition challenge, which of course suggests, contrary to the popular opinion, that Canada's oil sands is actually uniquely well positioned to maintain long-term production and survive in a net zero energy transition scenario. So as a key feature of this report, what we did is we laid out a detailed argument and roadmap for how we see this unfolding over time. 
and corridor thinking are both ESG-related sustainability factors and fundamental differences in the oil sands process versus the uh, traditional conventional um, oil drilling. This is outside of the common view that oil sands production is simply a high carbon source of oil and that all barrels are created equal from a supply chain perspective, and this simply isn't true. So we distill this survivor roadmap down to three important elements. The first is we think there are clear and credible technology pathways to net zero emissions for the oil sands sector. And this stems from the assumption of ongoing industry leading pace of intensity improvements due to research and development of technology, as we mentioned, but also importantly, the compatibility and potential for using carbon capture to abate emissions, along with several complementary transition energy investment opportunities like in renewables, biofuels, and blue hydrogen. The second, uh, there's a really interesting transition opportunity that is unique to oil sands bitumen. It's dubbed bitumen beyond combustion. It is essentially the option to divert bitumen from fuel use to several high growth, non-combusted products like asphalt and carbon fiber. And this is something that is really not well known by the broader market at this point, but we think is something that's going to become much more visible in coming years as companies evolve in their transition strategies. The third and final element to our roadmap we think is key. It's something that we've talked about at length in our past fundamental work. There are several sustainability advantages inherent in the oil sands production process specifically has very low to no production declines. And that we think is going to support its staying power versus other traditional oil sources when it comes to uh, future reinvestment decisions in supply. Okay, so you've mentioned carbon capture. Can you explain why this is so important to the sector's transition story? For, for sure. First, for those that are listening that may not be familiar with the terminology, carbon capture use and sequestration, or we call CCUS, is the process of capturing carbon dioxide emissions from industrial facilities and either using the carbon uh, in some sort of a product or sequestering and storing it in large underground uh, reservoirs. And we think that CCUS is of critical importance to the net zero pathway. It is increasingly viewed as the main solution to curb emissions within uh, heavy industry. But the key here is that it's particularly well suited to oil sands facilities because of the large scale and highly concentrated nature of its stationary emission sources, there's basically uh, over 80 million tons per year of emissions that come from a relatively small geographic corridor in the oil sands region. In addition, the emissions come primarily from the combustion of natural gas, which is a cleaner burning uh, fuel than other fuel sources. And that improves the efficacy and the reliability of carbon recovery and ultimately would lower costs in terms of operating uh, carbon capture facilities. Western Canada, of course, also holds among the largest and I would say highest quality storage systems globally. It currently holds the world's fourth largest established uh, CO2 storage capacity at just about 400 gigatons. And the suitability and integrity of these storage options have been extensively tested through numerous characterization studies over the past uh, several years. The region also has established regulatory protocols and expertise in place to manage carbon sequestration or the storage of it. Canada is the third largest operator of CCUS capacity globally today, and it's supported by the 14 million ton per year uh, Alberta carbon trunk line for carbon transportation uh, in the heartland corridor of Alberta. So there is already an established infrastructure. There's expertise to support expansion of uh, CCS for use in the oil sands specifically. In fact, a core part of the recently announced 
oil sands pathways to net zero initiative. This was announced by the top five uh, oil sands producers. They proposed a second major carbon trunk line to be developed to accommodate CCUS in the Athabasca oil sands region. And finally, an important uh, question in all of this is what portion of emissions in the oil sands can actually be addressed using carbon capture. And when we look at the point sources, there's maybe 10 to 15% of emissions today that come from mobile and fugitive sources, but these are all expected to be addressed by other technologies over time. So the remaining emissions are mostly concentrated flue gas from large natural gas boilers and cogeneration units, uh, which are all uh, highly amenable to carbon capture. So with advancements that we're seeing in terms of next generation CCUS technologies, uh, we think that it's foreseeable that as much as 90% of future process emissions may be technically capturable from the oil sands process. And again, more than enough storage to handle this. We estimate Alberta's uh, CO2 storage alone is capable of holding over a thousand years worth of the entire oil sands sector's output. Okay, so it's critically important. What about walking me through how much carbon capture will cost and how it might impact investment returns? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a big question. We, we actually do believe that net zero uh, using carbon capture is well within the financial capacity of the sector. So there are a couple layers to this question as it relates to uh, policy and, and industry action. First, we do think that producers are incentivized already today to build enough capacity in CCUS to cover the obligations under Alberta's tier carbon tax regulation. That's because the carbon tax in Canada or the carbon price, I should say, is rising to $170 per ton by 2030. And we think that the cost of large-scale CCUS projects today are likely less than $90 per ton. So they are economic from that perspective. We estimate that the cost of doing this would be 10 to $15 billion for industry, but that compares to $50 billion uh, in carbon tax obligations if they if they don't use CCUS to abate those emissions. And this works out to less than 40 cents per barrel. So to put it in perspective, the, the cost burden is relatively limited to the sector. Uh, this all said, Alberta's tier carbon tax regulation really only addresses uh, excess emissions. And so it's a small portion of total emissions. And more progressive policy we think is going to be needed to promote deeper action that aligns with a net zero pathway. We've highlighted uh, recently in our work that there are indications of growing incentives coming uh, from the federal government and the provincial government, including a clean fuel standard in 2022 and a pending CCUS tax credit, which is currently under negotiation between the industry and the, and the federal government. Uh, regardless of this, we sort of estimate the cost of achieving net zero using carbon capture use and storage at anywhere between 50 to $100 billion for the sector. And that seems like an incredible amount of money, uh, but this is actually well within projected cash flow for the sector. We actually estimate the top five oil sands producers generating over $180 billion in free cash flow by 2030 alone. So it is well within their capacity to do so. I would say what industry is waiting for now from the federal government is incentives that are competitive with other jurisdictions like the US and Europe, where there is uh, more development happening in terms of new projects. And that's really needed to support the economic returns for standalone projects before these companies are going to be willing to invest in them. This idea of bitumen beyond combustion sounds interesting. Can you expand on some of the opportunities there? Yeah, it is a really uh, interesting uh, aspect of this story, and I think could be a really important differentiating element of the oil sands. Um, 
because it, it, it shows that there's meaningful alternative markets available in the event of serious demand destruction in fossil fuels. And, you know, the concept is that bitumen contains very high asphaltine content of 14 to 20%. This compares to just 1% to 4% for typical uh, conventional oils. This is, so this is essentially the bottoms of the barrel. It's what gives oil sands its tar-like qualities and its relatively high carbon profile in terms of production. But ironically, it's also what makes bitumen particularly attractive for use in non-combusted products like asphalt and carbon fiber. These are all markets uh, that are expected to see material growth on the back of population, mobility, and infrastructure spending trends. And they're not affected um, by the energy transition. Uh, because of the barrel compositions of these products, there are indications that at least 20 to 30 percent of bitumen supply, so this is possibly more than a million barrels per day, could possibly be diverted from uh, being used in fuel markets. Uh, what's more, these products have a market value that's three to five times the current price of Western Canada select heavy crude oil coming out of Western Canada. And to put it in perspective, the Alberta government recently estimated potential market value for these products at greater than $84 billion versus current fuel sales from Western Canada of about $27 billion. So a very significant uh, market opportunity, alternative market opportunity, but also a potential value proposition. Um, in terms of the components, asphalt looks really interesting right now because of all the infrastructure spending that's emerging as part of this uh, green recovery. But in addition, most projections out there call for road transportation demand to more than double by 2050. And this is regardless of whether it's for traditional ICE vehicles or zero emissions vehicles. So in other words, uh, the road to fossil-free transportation is still paved with asphalt and there really are no other uh, economic alternatives for road paving. Um, uh, also, interestingly, in most net zero outlooks by the IEA and other uh, major producers, there is a significant decrease in oil supply that's seen uh, from which to derive asphalt binder. And so this is where we think the unique opportunity for bitumen comes in in supporting um, that future market. Carbon fiber, also very compelling and interesting, albeit still in R&D in terms of proving commerciality uh, with the use of bitumen. The market is, is small, but growing at a very fast pace. And there's a really interesting study uh, done by the U.S. Department of Energy back in 2018, where they claimed that a 50% reduction in the carbon fiber production cost could drive global market expansion of greater than 10 times. And the cool part about this, uh, we think, is that it's believed bitumen-derived carbon fiber could be produced at just one-tenth of the current process. So that suggests a lot of market expansion opportunity for the use of um, oil sands in carbon fiber markets. In the report, Jared, you also highlight the sustainability advantages of the oil sands process. What are the main factors that investors should understand here? Yeah, I, th I think this is a really important fundamental differentiator in terms of maintaining long-term supply, and it's often overlooked. And it it also comes with some positive long-term environmental implications. So essentially, the oil sands extraction process is a completely different model or business than conventional oil drilling. It is a manufacturing process. It has very low declines or zero declines in the case of oil sands mining. And therefore, it comes with low replacement risk and sustaining capital needs. You don't have to continually reinvest in drilling new wells once production is established. On the other hand, Conventional oil production faces persistent high declines that must be met with continual reinvestment in drilling. In other words, high replacement cost and risk. So to put it in perspective, we estimate oil sands projects today have sustaining capital costs of less than 
$10 per barrel. This compares to $20 to $25 per barrel to replace conventional oil declines with new wells. Uh, and an important metric that we think is very telling of this is the sustaining capital ratio or sustaining capital over cash flow. And our work shows that the Canadian oil companies have by far the lowest sustaining capital ratios in the business globally. In other words, one of the most economic sources of sustained long-term supply. Again, we think this supports its staying power versus conventional sources, which we think would face much more pressure in terms of reinvestment decisions in a transition um, type of a world. What is more, the cumulative land and water use implications are also significant because of lower declines and less drilling. A modern SAGD oil sands project, for example, would disturb just one-fifth of the land and use just one-third of the fresh water uh, than a typical scale or a similar scale tidal project over its lifetime. And we suspect that land and water issues are only going to become a much bigger consideration for investors down the road. As our ESG strategist Doug Morrow recently pointed out in one of his uh, reports, the bio biodiversity topic around land use is heating up as a major concern among uh, investors. So at the end of the day, you assume the oil sand sectors can hold its production flat long term, even in a net zero transition outcome. What does that mean from a global supply and global demand perspective? We think regardless of the oil demand scenario, um, even in a case of net zero where there's precipitous declines in demand, uh, we believe ongoing investment is going to be needed to backfill steep declines on the supply side. And this is to the tune of 6% or 5 to 6 million barrels per day. According to the IEA's recent report, uh, OPEC's market share in a net zero scenario would increase from 34% today to 52% in 2050. And these are regions um, you know, that we've discussed in our work so, uh, several times do not uh, take sustainability or human rights uh, as seriously as, as countries like Canada. And from our perspective, uh, more sustainable uh, sort of ESG friendly sources should really be the sources that are benefiting and replacing these supply declines over time. And if we're right in our assumptions, uh, and the unique sustainability factors that we highlighted for Canada, this suggests Canada could be one of few oil regions outside of OPEC to sustain production and potentially actually gain market share uh, over the long term. So the pandemic has created an opportunity to accelerate government and investor action on climate change, particularly now as part of the green recovery. How do you see Canada's oil and gas sector playing a role? And what impact do you think this has on Canada's oil sector? Is this a big risk or is this a big opportunity? I think right now is a pivotal moment in time and an opportunity for the sector to demonstrate its sustainability efforts to date and to gain public and policy support for the initiatives that are going to work towards this mutual uh, net zero goal. From recent discussions that we've had with industry experts, we do sense a palpable level of optimism and enthusiasm uh, regarding the state of government relations. In a, a recent panel discussion at our energy conference, we had executives go as far as to say that they're seeing an unprecedented level of cooperation with government to support its uh, green initiatives. And this has been reflected in a number of encouraging announcements around policy, including meaningful increases in strategic funding for emissions reductions as part of the 2021 federal budget, uh, as well as a CCUS tax credit that I mentioned is, is, uh, is pending. In addition, the level of urgency and ambition in industry, I would say, is, is higher than you know, it's ever been, in my opinion. And this is underscored, of course, by the Recent announcement of the Pathways to Net Zero Initiative, uh, again, was uh, 
proposed by the top five oil sands producers. But also uh, in the marketing, I think in the advocacy efforts of the industry, this is noticeable. So for example, Suncor's recent investor day, the company highlighted some very ambitious plans to curb um, aggregate emissions. So the bottom line is that we're increasingly optimistic that ESG progress is only going to accelerate from here. And we're going to see a lot more announcements from companies in the coming months uh, and years to further delineate transition plans for investors. And that'll go a long way, I think, to improving confidence in and the credibility in uh, these companies' net zero uh, transition plans. Jared, we're moving to the end of the podcast here. So one last question for you. Has the label dirty oil and sustainability concerns influence sector valuations? And do you expect an improvement in the image vis-a-vis clear, credible pathways to net zero can reverse this over time? Yeah, well, we've certainly seen a lot of capital flow out of the sector over the past several years. This is partly as a result of lagging oil market returns, which uh, we alluded to earlier, are improving with lower costs, but also because of the sustainability concerns. And as I mentioned, Canada is a bit of an underdog in this regard, and I think disproportionately affected by that trend. Uh, so I do think the implications for the share prices uh, in this scenario that we've outlined in a report are, are fairly obvious to the extent that the negative view around Canada's oil sector does shift more positive over time, particularly as companies prove up the credibility of their net zero and transition plans. We suspect that some of this valuation gap could certainly be recovered. Uh, it may take some time for sure for companies to provide that level of clarity that's needed around net zero pathways, but it certainly does seem to be accelerating. And we do think it could eventually influence investor decisions around at least relative exposure within the global energy space. Jared, thank you for joining us today. We certainly covered a lot of ground on the Canadian oil sands. That was Jared Juba, BMO Capital Markets thematic oil and gas analyst. BMO Capital Markets is proud to be able to deliver a thoughtful analysis of upcoming sector trends that will prove important to clients' investment decisions. If you enjoyed today's Intune podcast, please do subscribe and rate it. Thanks for listening to Intune, presented by BMO Capital Markets Equity Research. You can subscribe to Intune on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other podcast providers. Or visit our website at researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com to listen to more podcasts. Until next time, thank you for tuning in. To access our full disclosures, please visit researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com slash public dash disclosure.